0: Working Cows Podcast, Episode 193.
1: Welcome to the podcast that gives producers a platform to discuss and share paradigm-challenging practices, practices that have increased the effectiveness of their operation and the joy that their families have received from this lifestyle.
0: howdy everybody it's clay conry host of the working cows podcast here with another episode for you guys powered by the global egg network and this episode is brought to you by performance beef i want to share a quick note with you about how performance beef is helping greg williams on his operation how do you manage data for your cattle business pen and paper or complicated programs there's an easier way Here how Performance Beef has helped Greg Williams simplify his cattle operation. Before I switched to Performance Beef, it was an absolute circus. It was a cobbled up, pen and paper, didn't know where I was setting. mess. I know on a day-in, day-out basis what my break-even is, how many cattle I've lost, what my feed cost is. On a daily basis, I know I can print that report page and I know exactly where I'm setting that day. Cattle producers like Greg are saving time and boosting accuracy with performance beef. Are you ready to start? For someone that's on the fence thinking about switching, just pull the trigger. It is a flat-out game changer to know exactly where you're at. Reduce the guesswork. Search performance beef online to request a demo. Very excited today to be joined by Greg Christensen. Greg is doing a lot of things in Kansas, but uh, among the many things that Greg is doing, he's raising meat goats, and we're going to talk to him about how meat goats fit in a cow-calf operation, uh, what are some of the benefits for the ecology of meat goats, how they benefit the ecology and uh, some of the challenges and, and how Greg has overcome those things. We're also going to talk a little bit about Greg's sheep operation. So uh, really excited to kind of get outside the box today and, and talk about what it looks like uh, to incorporate goats into a commercial operation uh, at scale. So Greg, thanks for joining me today on the Working Cows podcast.
1: Yeah, Greg, you have uh, me on here,
0: Clay. Appreciated you uh, reaching out and, and sharing with me a little bit about what you've got going on there uh, in Missouri. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your operation?
1: Sure. Um, actually, we're in Kansas, but just barely. We're okay. about 10 miles from the Missouri border, and I'm south of Kansas City about an hour. Um, but our countryside is more like Missouri than it is Kansas, honestly. And we have uh, um, maybe around 700 uh, hare sheep, uh, well, I mean breeding ewes, and probably 500-ish uh, uh, nanny goats that'll that give birth this spring. And then uh, really, we, you know, a real crop farm, a couple thousand acres too, um, so it's... Springtime's our busiest time, and of course that's when lamb and, and kids uh, and, and plant and spray and everything.
0: So. Sure, yeah. Sorry about that. Would do you do you sell in Missouri? Is that right?
1: Uh, yeah, i normally have a, a sale at St. Joe, Missouri, but it it's not there now. They closed the old uh, St. Joe stockyards. that but it's moved north. A guy that had it there started another one at Clorinda, Iowa. But that's about you know, 70 miles north of St. Joe. Yeah. Gotcha. But I have another sale. It's probably an hour and a half south of me. And another sale an hour and a half west of me. It's not hard to sell them at all. I mean,
0: sure. Yeah, that was uh, the... One of the videos uh, on your great YouTube channel uh, was of sale day, and it was at St. Joseph. So I got I got my wires yeah. crossed there about Kansas and Missouri. I guess. <laughs> sure.
1: No, no, but yeah, we haul them up there, bit. Uh, for all types of purpose, you might say we're in Missouri. <laughs>
0: yeah. Like. I went to Wally Olson's marketing school in Claremore, Oklahoma, and it's in it. Yeah. All that kind of country, uh, is pretty similar. I mean, it's, it's not geographically yep. separated, but very far. It's just a line there that says, no, now you're in Missouri. So it's, it's all kind of yeah. similar country. Exactly. So. A lot yeah. more moisture and, and, uh, you know, growing a lot of grass and, and that kind of stuff. And and I guess one of the things that maybe people in the West think about uh, is, um, you know, the susceptibility to parasite issues and, and those kinds of things. Uh, is the, the hair sheep, part of the motivation for the hair sheep is that they're more resistant to parasite load?
1: Um, well, I'd have to say, yeah, that that is um, part of it. But I started with goats probably uh, maybe 18 years ago. And where I've had goats, they've uh, pretty much eaten all the brush and things there, and it made it better sheep pasture. Hmm. So um, that's when about four, maybe five years ago, I started getting into the hair sheep. And we put those on our pastures that we... Used to have goats on, and then we have our goats on a lot of places that maybe other people's pastures that that they have cattle on, but they want some kind of brush control, they don't want to have to, to mow it or spray it or just um, you know, buck brush take it over, or hedge or locust. So we move a lot of goats, we have several on other people's place, and I have some on. Yes. Yeah.
0: would you say that it's accurate to say that the more uh more kind of wetter areas if they are you know not not grazed um i don't know if properly is the best word but if they're not grazed properly they will tend more towards that brush the brush will will encroach and kind of take over
1: yeah i mean especially you know area. i'd say I, don't know, I think of it as any place Maybe east of I thirty five highway goes up there through uh, kind of middle of Kansas. Any place east of that, uh, probably east coast. Even just we're just susceptible to get brush to take over the pasture, Um, and yeah, it's probably because most of them aren't grazed properly, Um, and we get a lot of rainfall. And um, so, so, yeah, it's a common practice around here to. To mow a pasture to get rid of the brush or to spray it, uh, man, you let it go you know, one year, two years, and it just gets too big. You can't mow it, you know, but uh, the go through really a good control method, it's not quick, but it's steady.
0: What, uh, what kind of timeline do you think of as far as getting, you know, you said turning that into sheep pasture you, over that period of time? Was that... Did it take that fourteen years? You said about eighteen years ago. I think you had goats, and then about four years you had yeah. you had sheep. Was it? Did it take that long to get mm-hmm. that brush under control?
1: No, I probably I would say not. Um, we just continued with the the goats on some places probably longer than we would have had to. Before I made the commitment to to get in the sheep, um, and of course, it all just depends on. Your brush, how how heavy it is there, and how heavy you stalk it, and you know, do you want to have some brush left for the, the goats? Because um, when they're eating up high, they're not picking up parasites.
0: Sure. Um,
1: so, yeah, it would just kind of depend on your the brush load and and how you know how heavy you stocked it. I've got places that mm. that uh, maybe the owner has cows there. And we have goats there, and just for his brush control. So the first year, and depends on the, the brush, but, you know, I might put, um. well, let's just say I think of a place there. It's about 100 acres. In the first year, I might have put 80 nandies there that were, you know, raising kids. And then as uh, you you get more of the brush eaten down, eating down. Maybe the next year, not as many, or maybe a couple, three years. And then and then now, see, like, I've had that particular place, this deal with this guy for, I don't know, um, over 10 years, I'm sure. And we kind of keep just the maintenance crew there, maybe about, oh, I don't know, 30, 40. Um, maybe we just put some yearlings on there, some smaller ones. We're just growing up before they they kid, Um so we just taper it back on, on that a little bit because, you know, there, we have controlled a lot of the brush, but it'll still come up if they didn't have goats there.
0: Sure. Um, What's the history of the landscape that you're on? Are are you on a family place? Are you on mostly leased ground? Um, how What are those? Um,
1: yeah, well, so where I lived here, uh, we bought this place. Uh, I worked on on ranches, uh from Texas to Colorado to Missouri and stuff, and then we we moved here, which is close to my wife's folks. And then uh and so we grazed part of it. There's four hundred acres here and some we graze and some we farm. And then um, you know I started out with goats here and the first guy that came to me I was renting his pasture uh and I had cows on it. And he said, "Hey, hey, Greg, if I bought the wire, would you uh help me fence it and bring the goats over here?" I said, "Sure, because the deal I had with him, he was going to bush hog the pasture or, or control the brush. I was just to pay him, but that wasn't my responsibility on this particular uh, pasture, so we finished it and took goats there, and you know what? he never loaded again, <laughs> and, and he just tickled as a matter of fact. Um, a couple of years ago, then his his son took over the place, and his son said, "Hey, uh, we're going to put cows there." And so, you know, just let you know. Well, I thought he wanted me to take the goats off. See, <laughs> so he brought along, and this is, you know, January first was our, our start the lease over, and and uh, I I actually paid uh, for this pasture, I rented it, but. I had moved where I just had goats on it only. I didn't even have any cattle on it. Well, anyway, we took the goats off there in January first, and I don't know when it was. It was several months later. He said, "Hey, I don't see the goats on there anymore." No I said, "Well, you were gonna put cows on. I thought you just you know didn't really want the goats on there." Or something I said, "No, no, 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 no. Bring the goats back. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to mow it." And so we have goats there again now and uh, you know I've got these deals like that that I've had for years and years um, and it's, it's, it's really a good opportunity say you've got a uh, a son or a daughter coming home from college or wanting to get into the operation you don't have a larger land base um, put a goat on other people's property like that and um, it's kind of a win-win I mean I don't have any trouble with, you know, finding people that, you know, hey, would you bring the goats over here? <laughs> um, you yeah, you, know, you just got to pick the right people you want to work with. Um, and the, the way I work the deal, it's no big secret. Um, I'll just, I'll fence it. You know, uh, when I fence it, it's, it's one single electric wire inside of their cow fence. Inside their barbed wire. And it can be an old, dilapidated barbed wire fence that won't hold the cow. Matter of fact, I've got places that were like that and the people do not want me to leave and take, and the fence belongs to me then. But their cows don't get out anymore because that's electric wire there. (laughs) And uh, it's maybe, I don't know, 12 inches high, let's say. But the cows... In my own place here, this fence around my place is probably 60, 70 years old. Wire's brittle, but I got the same deal, and, and they don't get out. So I I fence it, and it's not very expensive. I mean, um, you know, the the wire costs you about two cents a foot, and the will cost you about two cents a foot, and miscellaneous stuff costs you about two cents a foot, but then you need a charger, of course. And that is no expense to the the property owner. I wanna do it so I know I'm responsible to keep the goats in it, so I wanna make sure it's done right. I just learned ways of course, you know, when you do anything to do it. And uh basically I just make it easy for them. They don't have to do anything. They don't pay me and I don't pay them. Mm. Um, I know some people with goats get paid for <laughs> grazing and different things, I hear those deals. But in my neck of the woods that's probably not gonna happen and the fence is critical and things. But, you know, it works and uh, and they're happy and I'm happy and when winter time comes, sometimes we're both feeding hay and I just sorta of know well tell you I got a hundred goats here and I sort of know how much a hundred goats eat and I'll take hay out or if his cows eat some of my hay and my goats eat some of his hay we just get along so you you gotta have somebody you can work with and sometimes they they can move theirs to another paddock or something and once in a while we'll even move our goats home here depending if they're too far away we don't want to hay them but we can't bring we have too many to bring them all here at home for the winter Um, so yeah
0: yeah. Um, so <laughs> recently there was a question asked in one of the, uh, Facebook groups about uh, appropriate fencing for goats and, and yeah. the, uh, what was mentioned was it needs to hold water basically. So you're saying a single hot wire around the inside of a, of a old cow fence will do it. Can you tell me a little bit about how you're making that work?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I've heard that too about, and that's when I was getting the goats. I thought, "Oh man, I don't know if this will work," but it definitely works. Um, you know, we—I don't know if we knew it for a long time. Now, like even today, one of the guys going around spraying underneath the fence here in the summertime keeps uh, a lot of the grass from growing up underneath it and stuff because it is so short. It'll, mm. it'll short it out some, but. You know, part of it is too the goats get used to it. My goats are just they're born under it, right. they live under it. Now, you can train goats to it, um, and, and uh, you know, by, by putting it in and then putting some feed up against the fence and letting them get shocked and do that for a few days. But no, my goats don't want to go near it, and I've been shocked by it, and I can tell you why they don't want to go near it. It's not <laughs> any fun. Um, and, and we use, you know, Good charger, probably more charger than we would need, but um you don't have to have a woven wire, you know, watertight fence. Um, and there's days our fence, you know, for some reason might not be hot there, and they just don't touch it. I wouldn't want to leave it that way for you know several weeks. But um, and I've got emails and stuff from people saying, you know, hey. Um you know I did just what you said and I put this 12 and a half gauge high pencil wire around the perimeter there um, and my goats keep getting out and I said well part of the secret to this is that they have enough to eat there mm-hmm. Um and they said oh well I, I got pretty good grass and stuff and I said well I'll tell you what you you go out there you take a uh we used to get a brown paper bag but now it's a White plastic bag, maybe, and you fill that up with grass, just picking it with your hand, or forage, or whatever kind of stuff they're eating. And and you call me back when you're done. He <laughs> said, "Well, what do you mean?" I said, "Well, I know how long it takes you to fill that bag up." And and he said, "Well, I don't know. It, it might take me quite a while, you know." But so well, that's how much each goat needs every day. It is you know a bit. Hmm. Um, ground paper bag of, of forage and forage that they like and we're not talking about the old stuff that they walk around and uh, you know I might ask them you know, what's on the other side of your fence that they keep getting out well you know, maybe it's an alfalfa field or a soybean field or a, <laughs> well I mean you know that's it doesn't work that way you do have to keep enough good forage in front of them stuff they like I mean, and they can be fescue or, or native grass. I mean, they, it's not their favorite, but they will eat that. You know, and, and have good hot charger on it. I've got probably several YouTube videos up under Grandview Livestock that still worth watching. So our charging system, you know, we may, if we have a place we can plug into 110, then we'll have a plug-in charger. But we have several. Um, solar chargers, but we have built them because you couldn't buy one well back when we started. You couldn't, you might you now, you couldn't buy, you know, more than I mean, like we're using maybe a 12-dual charger, Uh so it takes a bigger solar, pan- solar panel. Mm-hmm. So we just build a with the solar panel in the, the box and put a controller in it, and um you know that might cost you a thousand dollars but you know i mean it's gonna last you several years so yeah, don't be afraid to spend money on a charger here at home i don't know how many miles of wire we would have under this charger um it's a well it was a 20 joule charger but then it i had to get it fixed here uh last year and i sent it to uh guy up uh Excelsior Springs, Missouri I believe that fixed them. I just found him on the internet. Mm-hmm. Well when he fixed it, I said, Hey um can you can you give that thing more power? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when I got it back I, I, I talked to him, I said, So how much power it have now? I said, Oh, I don't have no way of testing it. It might be twice as much. It's gonna be at least thirty to forty joules, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's perfect extra charge behind your wire is just a peace of mind. Um, but honestly, we, we seldom get a goat out. And there's places that we have two-wire fence where maybe we don't have a back fence. Because I'll graze all oh, of my place here. Maybe I'll graze some corn stalks or cover crop or something that we don't have you with know, barbed wire around it. But they don't they don't bother it they don't get out a lot of times we'll turn the bottom wire because we we're getting too much of a resistance uh grass or or something growing up on that bottom, so it's just a one wire, but they don't know that,
0: mm-hmm. and that's the subdivision or is that the going around uh, the
1: well, that particular that would be going around the outside when we're when we're grazing uh all this Crop field here, oh, east of my east of my house, but and then we have some subdivision fences. and now we were putting those up there a couple of years ago, and we put up three wires, and we probably could have got by with two, but you're doing it, and really the cost isn't that much. We will to put another wire up and run that maybe along the stretch, you know. Here, um, like we were subdividing some twenty five acre paddocks. So we're not talking about that much expansion and adding another wire, but I don't know. Um, and in those situations when you're subdividing that you're gonna be crowding them in there more. See part of making that work is is maybe uh, you're not pushing them. You're not crowding them, um so when we go through these paddocks here at home, that might be a little five acre subdivision and we'll have 300 combined nannies and ewes with their lambs and kids and have them on that for, uh, you know, maybe a couple of days. we'll when you got them that tight, you're going to need a better fence.
0: Is that is does that make up the animal units on, on your operation, uh, the the ewes and the goats. There are no cows that you're managing uh, yourself. You're coming to other people's uh, places with the with the goats or the sheep, and the, and they've got the cows there. Actually,
1: we we have cows. Um, we sold way down our cow herd. We probably had about sixty cows and a couple other pastures they went on. But some were here at home and. We rotated them through here at home, Um, but then this year come along, we wanted to keep more sheep and goats, Um, just bluntly, it's because of the profitability of them, (laughs) and so, yeah, we sold, uh, I don't remember, like 50 or 60 cows, and um, we've got four here waiting on them to calve, and then we'll we'll sell them. so like right now in the springtime here, you got plenty of grass. It just blows up and you can't keep up with it. You know that's so I'm thinking. Man, we, we should have kept more of our cows. But I know how it gets in July and August. And, <laughs> oh man, we don't have anything. So we, we hope we don't have to start taking hay out. Because it's been times you've had to. But um, so no, we've had had a lot more cows than what we do now. Um,
0: sure. And, and is what percentage of the land that you're grazing is that kind of leased land or, or so to speak, uh, grazing, you know, with or behind or in front of somebody else's cows?
1: Maybe half. Um, so we've got a, let me think, we've got a place a guy has and, uh, there's 700 acres there, which is a big block for this neck of woods, but, um, we've got about 400 acres of it under the goat fence, that, and, and so and those and that's split up within an eighty, hundred sixty, hundred sixty, and another eighty that we kind of rotate through with his cows. He's got a couple hundred cows along that maybe, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He hunted me down one day to ask me about putting goats out, you know, and and then you know we went around looked around um and he's happy with it you know um but i'd say probably half our half our goats are probably on other people's. no there'll be more than that um let's say two-thirds of our goats on other people's property and not as many sheep um most of the sheep would be on places we either own or pay rent for. You know, so I've had for several years. Maybe I had cows on them at one time.
0: What percentage of a of a goat's diet would they prefer to be browse?
1: You know, I, I feel like if a goat had its choice, maybe a hundred percent. I mean, a, a good ninety probably, anyways. Mm-hmm. But there's going to come a time. You know, after it frosts and the leaves are falling off, the of stuff um, that they're gonna they're, they're gonna eat more grass, or maybe in the spring when the grass gets coming on, but the leaves aren't as big on the trees or as much on them yet. They're, they're gonna eat a little more grass, but um, and really, they they prefer um, and, and anything with stickers on it. Seems like that's what they like blackberries um hedge trees locust trees um multiplier rose bushes <laughs> all that stuff you pay money to, to try to get rid of um i was at a grazing thing one time and i was on this panel and this they were actually talking about how to eradicate brush and the guy going before me was talking about different chemicals um what's effective on this and what's effective on that and and then we came my turn and I said, Man, I, I just hate hearing about it because although he's he's out there killing all my forage, and uh, you just start looking at things different. You start looking at all those things you're trying to kill as forage, and, I mean, it could be ragweed, you know, it could be um, you know any uh, you know curly dock or, or anything out there that's maybe not ideal cow food. But they they like it.
0: So this is the Working Cows podcast and uh I guess kind of one of the things that I would hope to accomplish today is uh, giving you an opportunity or uh, yeah the opportunity to um pitch to somebody uh who's thinking about incorporating sheep and goats uh, some of the reasons why you think that that's a good idea or good good tactic and and some of the benefits of having multiple species on a landscape and we've talked about some of those things, but uh could you just kind of kind of make that pitch?
1: maybe i well start with goats that's I started with goats, and the reason was I wanted the brush control, but as I started putting a pencil to it, I seen that hey it's a whole lot more profitable than just getting the brush control um goats. Well, like I've told you, they're really not that hard to fence in, and it even helps keep your cattle where they belong. Goats, you know, the goats sell for a lot of money. <laughs> and I don't know who's eating them, because I, people ask me, do you eat much goat? I say, I don't eat any. It's too expensive. <laughs> I'll sell the goat and buy a beefsteak, you know? <laughs> it's just, um, I'm just usually astounded at you know what they sell for. So, so the market's there. You don't have to worry about selling them, or uh, you don't have to create a market. You don't have to do direct marketing. I don't, I don't do that at all. Um, what you have to do is keep them alive till sale day. The goats. There's a reason they have two babies at once. <laughs> they, or they would be extinct. Um, they uh, they just find ways to die or, uh, pre- I mean, predators are a big issue. So with goats, you got really two things. is your predator problem and uh, parasites. And so we use guard dogs for predators. You know, we, we check for worms, parasites. Um, but I would say, uh, and also like I already mentioned, is, you know, maybe you don't have a large land base, but you have sun on a on new place, and usually, I mean, I don't know, I found it this way without much trouble. You can increase your land base to somebody else's property and, you know, increase your bottom line. And they don't have to to the bush hog or spray. They're a little bit, um, I don't know, they're not as good a mother's maybe as you might expect if you never had them and you're just used to cows. Um, but uh, and as I say that we have gotten better over the past 18 years ours are pretty good but if you have to go to the sale barn and buy some now that's that's probably uh, maybe the hardest thing about getting the goat business is finding good good Um, because everything at the sale barn is there because they they couldn't raise a kid because the kid might be worth you know, 200 or so dollars, and an nanny might be selling for 150 or 75. So you're saying, well, why wouldn't somebody just keep her and raise your kids, see? So, so that's an obstacle getting in, but, but if you look around trying to find maybe somebody selling out, and, um, somebody that raises them like you want to raise them it is always best, but many people get hold of me all the time. wouldn't know if I've got any for sale or know of anybody, and it's a hard time to find good ones right now. But usually in the fall, winter, maybe you can find somebody that's kind of tired of them, doesn't want to winter them. Um, but I, I think it's a natural fit for somebody that, that has cows and has to spend money eradicating brush every year. Um, you know,
0: a little bit of fancy do you do any kind of genetic selection um you know you talked about the fact that they've been born under this hot wire management regime and and they just this they know this is the boundary and we stay in it um do you do any selection as far as parasite resistance or anything like that once you get I used
1: to think I was going to say and if it, once you get past a couple hundred goats it's just really difficult. Like, I don't tag anything at birth anymore. Uh, it got to be where it didn't mean anything because I would go out and I tag this kid as it belongs to that nanny, but maybe she got another one laying off somewhere. I don't even know.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: And I end up with so many kids not tagged and duplicate number. It was just got to be. In a, and so I got no way of knowing what. Nanny pairs up with what kid? Right. So for me to do any genetic selection, and you know, I don't. But there's natural genetic selection that goes on. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yes, yeah, sir. The ones that the ones that survive are going to be the good ones, and you know, the ones that don't. And, and everybody has those, and um, they're going to be the ones that don't breed anyway. So, so. Yeah, over time, you will produce some that, that just fits your, I call it my, they fit my mismanagement style. <laughs> um, they, they're, they're still here. They're still alive. They still got, you know, kid on them. And I don't care if they only have one kid and I, and I wouldn't know if they had two or one anyways. Yep. But so when I get them in, I, I mean, I don't even know how many I got out there right now as far as kids, but here in, uh. Let's say by the fourth of July, around there sometime, we'll we'll bring 'em in. We got you got to castrate the, uh, <laughs> the males because much after that they'll start breeding. The moms out there, see?
0: Yep.
1: And so uh, um, we'll get get 'em in. We'll get a count then, you know. But uh, that's the first time that I'll know. I mean, you know, you'll get a suspicion, but you know, did we get? You know, one point five percent, or or how good we've done, or not good. Um, so I guess to answer your question, I don't do it, but nat- nature does it for me. Um, and I don't know if that's the best, but that's the way it gets done.
0: Yeah, no, I I appreciate that. Do you do you treat for parasites then? Uh,
1: yes. anytime we bring them up, so say we're we're going to castrate and they're coming up here. We have uh, an alleyway kind of fixed up. I mean, I bought it and it's, um, and we run through there. We check their eyelids every, every, I don't care if it's a kid or a mom or a buck or whatever. um, And and it's called the matcha. Um, Mm -hmm. And you, you know, if their eyelids are kind of pale, and there's an eye chart, but after a while you look at so many, you just sort of know. And we worm off of that. We don't worm anybody that doesn't need it because you 'cause you're gonna run into your wormer resistance, um, you know, fairly quickly if you just go through and worm everybody, which is what you know, we used to do, you know, years and years ago. Um, but that's kind of the latest is it uses Fermatis score and worm the ones that need it. And and so we'll we use Three different warmers together. I mean, when I say together, we don't put them in the same bottle. We have three drench guns. Mm-hmm. And we use... You know, Okay, if this needs it, it gets all three. You know, it doesn't just get one because it's not really too bad. You know, everybody that needs it gets gets all three. And so... Um, and that's... Uh, there's a guy, It's uh, Dr. Kaplan... Um, which I heard speak at a, a deal time I was talking about that, and so I've just followed that regimen um and it will also help keep you from getting resistance built up to one particular wormer
0: sure
1: um it used to be recommended we use one, and when it's no good, get resistance, we use another one, but no, he proved and and has statistics to show that no, you use all three of them together and and you will probably break some resistance that you have and and keep from getting resistance as quick there's just nothing after you get resistance to three major types of units, there's nothing really left to get
0: right what point, what percentage of them are getting a warmer uh, get, uh at an average run through the alleyway
1: I would say on on goats um now this has been a really wet spring, and that's gonna make a difference of course, but we come in. To do this the first time, the states, you know, in the June, um, I wouldn't be surprised. It could be half of them, um, which would be more than maybe a uh, normal year that's been wet. And the uh, the worms will will really pick up. See the the nanny when she kids and is milking, um, they're they're more susceptible to worms. They they have less resistance. And so that's probably our heaviest wound load of the year. And then any other given time, so say we're in uh oh I don't know, first of September we're weaning the kids and we'll check 'em and it's not gonna be that many, it might be I mean, let's just say a third. Um now sheep, the our hair sheep, uh, and ours are mostly Katahdin. Um it, honestly it's it's rare that we worm a U. Um, well, I mean, I'd say we might get, you know, let's say it's the same time of year, end of June, same situation, we might get one or two out of 100. I mean, not that we'll be at zero, but they just seem to be able to stand it. Now, the, the kids, or well, when you land or something, are more susceptible just because of stress and their body size. And so more of them would probably get weaned. You know, let's say let I mean, get weaned. Let's say we weaned them, and it's now um, October. Maybe one out of ten of those those lambs, the goats, is going to be higher than that. It just always are.
0: What percentage of the year would you say your goats are, and I don't know a, a better term for this, but you mentioned earlier you don't pay them I, and and they don't pay me for the goat grazing. What percentage of the year would you say your your goats are neutral grazing?
1: <laughs> well, they stay on, uh, most of those places, they stay there all year long. Um, they kid there, uh, they stay there where we wean the kids, they're, they stay there. Um, they need some hay in the winter time. They stay there. Um, so you know, we got those deals now. If there's some, there's we have some that's um, I don't know, eight or ten miles away from home. It just gets to be a hassle taking hay that far and such. And and he's usually got some cows there as he's feeding. We he bring them home. Um, we've got room. Just to stack those and but most of the places they're just—they they, say they're all year long, and, and I've had those places for you know, several years. Um, we've done it that way, so it makes you know it makes that end of it pretty pretty cheap,
0: right? Um, How much hay are they a year? Uh, do you um, got any idea?
1: Normally, I say we wouldn't start feeding much until. January. Um hopefully the place we have whether it's our own or or somebody else's has, has enough I don't know stock process or stuff is up there uh till January and then so we got January, February, March and maybe part of April. So let's say it's hundred days, might be hundred and twenty. I kind of just figure four pounds a head per day on that many. But it may not be quite that much because they don't just jump on full feed you know thinly mm-hmm. first and and then grass will start greening up, and they'll eat less and less hay in the spring um, I actually have a, a spreadsheet um and I have some of those figures on that that I've sent to people and well, you're probably familiar with uh on pasture mm-hmm. uh, I think she uh I think she had that up last week, hmm. and then you can download that off of Old Pastures website too. Um, but uh, yeah, Kathy, um, yes, yeah, she put that that spreadsheet up. And anyway, on there, and you can change that number. So I've got a number plugged in there that I kind of use, but you can change that number, and you can change your cost and. Maybe you're feeding them a little bit of grain or something else, and, and uh, you know one of the, the nice thing about about goats and, and sheep. Now we only kid once a year, and so you know we're we're kidding, we're weaning that kid. Let's say it's a it could it could be first of September or something, whenever we have time. So so that nanny has a long time. She's not gonna breed back. We're not gonna breed until about the first of December. She's got a long time to get in good body shape. You know, we're not, like with a cow, you know, you're kind of scrambling, trying to get enough nutrition in her so she'll breed back. we still got a calf on her sucking. It's nine months gestation. So she can go to more like five months. So you've got a considerable length of time there that they're just raising herself and doing nothing but eating brush for you. Um, so that really helps your, your breed back. Um and then they can go in the winter in better body condition and not require as much feed to keep them better. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, long answer to your question, but four pounds.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. No, I appreciate that. So I think that the future of um, of ranching in some of that Some of that country just east of the 100th meridian um, is incorporating livestock onto, onto row crop land, grazing crop aftermath. I think that the future of livestock in those areas specifically is probably somebody who is a facilitator between the owner of the livestock and the landowner and who's there adding their management to that scenario, moving the cows regularly um you know, to and and kind of those kind of things. Do you think that there's a similar opportunity farther east where where there's more of that brushy country um for people to incorporate goats into existing uh in existing beef uh operations as far as kind of a facilitator maybe even between the owner of the goats and the the livestock, or, or them owning the goats themselves and bringing the bringing the goats to those those facilities or those those operations?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I personally, yeah, I think it's a huge opportunity. Um, I, I didn't realize it when we first got into goats. I never really thought about that. Um, but, yeah, you know, and you've heard a statistic, and I don't know exactly what it is, but a large number of Guys with cows, let's just say, are older fellers that's you know close to retirement. Maybe they got a job in town. You know they don't have time. They don't have time hogs their pastures. They sure don't want to take on a goat herd. Um, so yeah, those kind of guys. And if you're a person that can can manage the uh, the goats and, and keep them in, that's I mean that's paramount. Nobody once goes getting out and then the landowner gets called or that's you know, the a cow. Um, and uh, manage the, the guardian dogs, and that's another little caveat. You know, you, you've got to be able to handle those kind of dogs. Um, yeah, I, I don't see what can stop you. You know, you, you've got to be a guy that likes and can get along with people. Um, and you've got to be somebody that can, you know, maybe just let somebody have their way. And you just, you know, I, I just always act like I'm a guest on their place. I'm a guest at their house and whatever they say goes. And if i got to change something or make something different, I just try to work it out. You know? So, yeah, I think it's a, a great opportunity for somebody like that.
0: What would you say are some of the challenges uh, to those opportunities, what are some of the things that people should be aware of going into it?
1: I, I i guess I make it as easy for the landowner or or cattle owner. Like I say, landowner, I've got a place that one guy owns the land, another guy rents it and has the cows, but he likes my goats there, so he doesn't have to the brush. So I got three people, um, but uh so you got to be able to get along with those people. So the challenges might be. Um, maybe they handle their cattle different than what you think and, and you've got to rotate your goats when they rotate their cows and like, maybe they're just going to call you and say, hey, we're going to move our cows today. Um, could you move your goats to the next paddock? Maybe he didn't like them grazing together, but you know, that doesn't hurt anything. But uh, Maybe you know it doesn't hurt anything, but then you just have to say, "Yeah, sure, okay, we'll be over and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as soon as possible." and mm-hmm. just do it. You know, we we keep up the electric fence, so if his cows are around some of that electric fence and his cows are that short, maybe there's a short in the fence. It's not really where your goats are, but you and you still need to go take care of it. Um, so you just got to be, I guess, just think like you're, you're a guest on that place. Um, you know, if it comes to feeding hay and something like that, you'll just have to work that out. You know, if your goats and his cows are in the same, same place, maybe talk about it ahead of time. I don't have any written agreements with people I have this business with. And some people say, Oh, you should always have written agreements and you know, maybe they were they're probably right. Sometimes though I think, you know what, I don't know if I wanna have a written agreement. I mean, there's somebody that I feel like somebody came to me and maybe I had a written agreement. And they say, You know what, this isn't working out, I want I want you to get your, your goats off there. I said, Well we got a written agreement. Well even if I got a written agreement, I probably don't want my goats there anyway. <laughs> you know? I'm probably gonna say, Okay you you know, we got a agreement. So what? I'm not sure what good it does you. Just try to be that guy that, you know, they want your goats there. Um, I try not to infringe upon their grass if it's drying up and there's not enough uh, brush. Those, those goats are gonna eat some grass. Maybe I'll, I'll take some off there. Maybe I'll take them all off there. Um, you know, 'cause I want, I want to work with them next year. So, yeah, that's, a drought would be about. you just have to manage like you're a guest at their place. Um, and it might hurt you worse than it hurts them, but, you know, they are making land payments.
0: Well, uh, Greg, I appreciate your time today. I will have links in the show notes page for today to your YouTube channel, to uh, GrandviewLivestock.com, and to your spreadsheets that were recently on on pasture.com, anything else that you would like me to put there at workingcows.net/slash/193?
1: Well, and I guess I sent you a copy of a book I did. Yes, sir. Did, did I? Okay. Yeah, and if that would help somebody, um, I wrote that, I think it's 2015. Some things have changed, but maybe give, give somebody a mirror of a real life. Uh, what to expect in a goat business? I mean, don't expect to kid twice a year and have two kids every every time. See <laughs> uh, those kind of things. So, but no, no. But uh, I appreciate you having me on here, Clay. And I hope we can help somebody. And again, and, you know, I feel like it's a it's a good opportunity.
0: People, yeah. So. Absolutely. No, I, I do. I think that there's a lot of opportunity if we're willing to um, you know just think outside the box. (laughs) You know, I guess that's, that's the thing. There's a lot of social pressure that comes with, uh, you know, you want to have this many acres and this many cows and this color of cows. And, and a lot of those things, um, we end up falling into those industry pressures and paradigms and, and the industry has gone towards a lot of things that don't keep profit in mind. They keep yield in mind. And, and I think that, um, getting outside of that box and, and getting, being willing to think, think uh, open-mindedly about the different opportunities can can be a very profitable uh, exercise.
1: Yeah, I mean you're exactly right, and and there are those. Uh, I was always a cow guy. Grew up. I mean, I, well, I didn't grow up. I worked on ranches all through the Midwest and things. So, but you know what? I kind of like goats. And yeah, you know, I like the sheep too, and they don't run over me. <laughs>
0: um, no, I, uh, yep. Friends. No, we've we've had sheep for just over a year now, and um, we've had we had I bought a goat at a benefit auction one time, and he's out with our sheep. And then we had of a, a neighbor's dairy goat that we've been milking because they couldn't I keep know. up, and she's out with our sheep now. And and we bought a kid, uh, a dairy goat kid from them too and uh kind of i've been grazing them grazing the sheep and the goats through some some sagebrush areas on my place and about the time the the sheep are done eating the grass in that place those three goats have the sagebrush stripped <laughs> and really? and so we move them on to the next uh, place so it works out
1: yeah i didn't know how they do on sagebrush
0: they they eat it i don't know how they yeah. do on it they eat it
1: <laughs> i mean if they you didn't like it it's probably got a lot of nutrition there's a lot of weeds that that um, have a lot more nutrition in it if you get to looking at it. So right. I'm Sure, sagebrush is like that.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's mm-hmm. and we talked to Kathy both about that too. It's about you know opening up that palate for those critters, you know, cow be they cows or or sheep or goats. You just gotta uh, yeah. give give them an opportunity to experiment with it, and once they experiment with it and learn, get that nutritional feedback that this is good for me. It's got a lot of mm-hmm. nutrients in it. They start to get yeah. a little more experimental in other places too, so Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, Greg, thank you for your time today and uh we'll we'll talk again soon. Okay. Thank you, Clay. Very good stuff with Greg, and uh, really appreciate his uh, time today. encourage you to head on over to the show notes page for today, workingcows.net slash 193, workingcows.net slash 193 is the show notes page for today, and you can check out uh, links to uh, Greg's operation and his book and, and uh, his YouTube channel, his great YouTube channel, uh, where he talks regularly about Um, goats and sheep and fencing and water and uh, parasites and all those things that he's uh, dealing with there. And uh, really looking forward to next week, talking to Austin Troyer. So we're staying east of the 100th Meridian. Um, We were a little bit east of the 100th Meridian today. We're going way east of the 100th Meridian tomorrow for, or next week for uh, Austin Troyer, talking to him. He's in Ohio, and he's doing a lot of leasing of, uh, old strip mine land and being able to lease it for an affordable price. And and we're going to talk to him about how he's incorporating sheep into that operation. So we're going to, we're going to stick with that, uh, working ruminants, uh, uh, working cloven hooved animals, uh, theme for another week, but really looking forward to that. So we'll see you next week with another episode of the Working Cows Podcast.
1: We invite you to visit workingcows.net to subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher. You'll also find detailed show notes pages, resources from our guests, and the industry leaders who have influenced them. For more ideas on putting your cows to work for you in a more profitable way, tune in next week.